guys, how are y'all today? Well, I'm Randy, and I'm so excited to be here today. And some of you guys might be thinking, man, she is a whole lot of crazy, and I completely am. I totally admit it. And I know some of you, my fellow cheerleaders out there, are like, yeah. I wish I could just go put back on my uniform. And I want you to know this is not actually a uniform I ever wore. Um, but it just um, shows that uh, God is so good that I could fit my pregnant belly in this cheerleading uniform from a costume store. And, um, and it is a playoff. Of, if you guys have been hanging out with us at all this semester, you have seen um, or you have heard Sue talk. And Sue Bolin always says, right, that one of her identities that she, is that she is God's party girl right? And I'm like, no, I'm God's party girl. Um, But since I couldn't be that today, I decided that really I get to be God's cheerleader today. And it is so exciting. I love that I get to teach um, not just on Exodus 17 and 18, but on all the lessons that God has taught us through Exodus. And y'all, maybe in the most annoying way, I love to brag on God. I really do. If I could just sit here and just brag on all the awesome stuff he has done in my life and in the lives of others, if I could just sit down with you and hear your story of goodness and grace, like nothing fills my heart like that does. And um, I mean, my favorite word really I think is yay. Like if I scrolled through my text messages, it would be like emojis and yay with an exclamation point. Um, And so I know as we go through and remind ourselves of everything that God has taught us this semester, there are about a million times that I just wanna be like, yay God, like you did it again and again and again. And he just shows off. And so y'all are sweet to, to hang out with us today. Please go ahead and eat. I'm not offended at all if you eat while I um, am up here because I don't want your salads um, to get cold. I guess they're already cold, warm. You don't want warm salads. Okay, so y'all, if you've been hanging with us this semester in Exodus, you know that this story is phenomenal right? That it is not just one of tragedy and devastation, although there is quite a bit of that in it. There's one, it is a story that shines with unbelievable grace and mercy and forgiveness and redemption and rescue and revelation, right? And it just screams of God's goodness and his patience, right? And his glory. And y'all know that Exodus, at least when we enter the story, takes place in Egypt. And it was at a time when Pharaoh had forgotten who Joseph was and the favor that was once shown on the Israelites. So at the point that we got to jump into the story in Exodus, the Israelites had been in slavery for 400 years. Right? So for 400 years, they thought that God was silent, that God had forgotten about them. And so we started out this semester just remembering it, thinking on those times when we thought that God was silent, when we think he's silent, when we think he's not working. And then we're reminded that um, although it seemed to the Israelites like God was silent for 400 years, he wasn't, right? That he was working in this mysterious and discreet way to uphold his covenant to multiply the Israelite people, right? In such a big way that they, despite their bondage and slavery, they were just multiplying in number. And Pharaoh got very intimidated by them, 
Okay, so much that he ordered that all the newborn Hebrew babies, boys, would be thrown into the Nile River. And so Meredith talked that week, and she talked about the bravery of the midwives that would help spare the lives of, of those little boys and the faith of one Hebrew family that would put their baby boys, they trusted in the Lord in the Nile River. And just by God's sweet grace, he would get rescued out of that river by none other than the princess of Egypt, right? And then by another God's sweet grace, he would get to be nursed and taken care of by his real mama for probably the first three years of his life. And then he would spend the next 37 years being raised as the prince of Egypt, But then at age 40, it was like Moses' eyes were opened to the cruel punishment and the cruel treatment and slavery of his people. And so he decides to take matters into his own hands and he kills an Egyptian slave worker, right? Well, we all know when you try to take things into your own hands, it just never works out. And so Moses feeling like there was no other option, he just takes off to Midian and, and runs away from the life that he had in Egypt. And in Midian, he meets Zipporah, and they have two sons, and he becomes a shepherd for the next 40 years. So for 40 years, Moses gets trained in how to shepherd a group of very stubborn animals. Oh my, I think God was getting him ready for something. And then one day, God appears to him in a form of a burning bush. Right? And as Moses approached it, he realized it's, it's so holy that he can't even wear his sandals in its presence, in God's presence. And, and God introduces himself for the first time as, I am who I am. I am Yahweh. I am Jehovah. And Elisha reminded us that week about all the names of God. And as Moses stood in awe of who God was that day, so should we. Right, so God tells Moses that he has heard his people's cries and that he wants to use Moses to be part of his rescue plan. Well, Moses, he comes up with every excuse he can come up with of why he is absolutely not the guy for the job. Well, God is so patient and he's so gracious that as Moses bumbles on about how he's not the guy, God's like, but Moses, I am. This is not about you, bud. It's about me. And God promises Moses that he will be with him every step of the way, right? And all he does is he asks Moses to trust him and obey him completely. And so we talked about like this, how God calls us to full obedience, that he doesn't just want partial obedience. He doesn't want us to kind of follow him. He wants us to be all in with him. Okay, so then God graciously gives Moses Aaron to be on this journey with him and to be his mouthpiece, Because Moses, one of his things was like, I can't talk, you know, in front of all those people. I have this stutter, God, I'm just not, I'm not ready. And so God gives him, Tim Aaron, to go back to Egypt. And they go to Egypt and they tell the Israelites that God has heard them and that he wants to rescue them. And of course, they're thrilled at this news initially, right? But when Moses and Aaron approach Pharaoh and tell him about God's rescue plan, Pharaoh is not so pleased about this. And he doubles the work of the Israelites, now remember, and then of course the Israelites are furious with, with Moses about this. Because you see, they had been slaves for so long, they couldn't even fathom that they were God's chosen people. 
Like their bondage was so real that this idea of freedom, it, they couldn't even grasp it. And Sue taught us that week that we need to claim our identity as children of the king, right? That we were made for freedom. And it's not about who we are. It's about whose we are. And, and we're just going to see this journey of the Israelites learning what it looks like to be God's chosen people. And it's not an easy one. Okay, but then in our story, it gets real because God sends 10 plagues on Egypt. When, if y'all remember, it was with the purpose that they would know him, that they would know that he is God, that there's no one beside him. And um, he didn't just want the Israelites to know that he was God. He wanted the Egyptians to know that he was God. He wanted Pharaoh to know that he was God. Because each plague was God's way of systematically taking down one of the idols in the Egyptian culture. And so I got to teach you guys that day, and I challenged you to think about the things that we worship over God. What are the things that we have put on a throne that only belongs to him? Because God's like, that's my throne. And in his great mercy, he was pursuing the hearts of his people to show them that he was the only one worth following. Well, Pharaoh's heart just gets harder and harder as he rebels against God and he won't let the people go. And Meredith reminded us that although that God is sovereign and man is responsible, God is 100% loving and 100% graceful, but he is also 100% just. And then we get to the final plague, which is in my opinion, by far the most devastating of all. And that was the killing of the firstborn son. But in God's sweet mercy, he gives his people very specific instructions for the Passover, right? That they had to choose this perfect, unblemished lamb to bring it into their home, to love it as their own, and then to sacrifice it without breaking a bone, and then to take its blood and put it on the doorposts of the house, right? And only then when the angel of death flies over and sees the blood in the shape of a cross— would the life of the Israelite son be spared? And Sue powerfully showed us that week, right, that every bit of the Passover pointed to Jesus, that he is our Passover lamb, right, that he is the ultimate sacrifice. By his wounds, we are healed, and by his blood, we are justified and freed. Man, I mean, that's like a yay God, right? If any of this, if you haven't been able to stand up and shout after that one, I was like, that's my king, right? Like, he is, he's just awesome, And at the death of his son, though, Pharaoh, obviously, he's devastated, and he's angry. So he doesn't just say, oh, you guys can go. The Israelites, he's like, get out of here. And so one to two million Israelites set out out of Egypt with all the Egyptian treasures, right? And they set off to God's promised land. And God is so cool that after 400 years of his people thinking they weren't with him, he becomes ever-present with them. So he's a pillar of cloud by day, and he's a pillar of fire by night. And he never leaves them, and he's always with them, and he guides them, and he guards them, and, um, and it's awesome. But y'all, the way that God starts leading them to the promised land is not the way that the Israelites thought it was going to go. It was wayward, and it was wonky, but it was completely straight to God. And they see, as, they, as they're on this wonky way, all of a sudden they see Pharaoh's army approaching them. 
and the Israelites react in complete fear and doubt. They took their eyes off of God, the ever-present pillar in front of them, and they focused on their circumstances. And we were reminded that we need to fight fear with fear, right? To fight the fear of this world with the fear of God. And God so sweetly tells them, y'all, I will fight for you. You need only be still. And Alicia told that story of how she was trying to rescue that baby bird, right? And it was caught in a net and it kept, kept fighting her. And she couldn't save it until it stopped fighting her. And so God tells his people to be still so that he can save them. And then at just the right moment, God miraculously parts the Red Sea and provides a pathway of deliverance for his people. And what a picture of Jesus being our only pathway to the promised land, right? And Israelites walk through it and the wall, the waters then swallow up Pharaoh's army and the Israelite people are free, free in a way that they had never known freedom before. But we see that their freedom is not easy for them to walk in. Okay, and so God begins to present these opportunities to teach his people how to trust him. Right, remember last week, Janie taught and she was like, do you trust me? Right, just like Aladdin and Jasmine, that was what God was saying to his people. Like, do you trust me? And three days into their journey, they are without water and they grumble to Moses and God makes the water sweet for them. And then he leads them to this oasis of palm trees and springs flowing with water. And then they were hungry and they complain again. And then God gives them quail at night and manna from heaven every morning. Right? And what a picture of Jesus being the bread of life. The only one that will ever truly satisfy him. And Janie reminded us that every need is a God-given opportunity to experience his provision. And that he will give us our daily bread that we have to trust him with today. As my mother-in-law always tells me, she goes, Randy, baby, God doesn't promise, right, the grace for the what ifs. But he does promise to give us the grace for the what ours. So he's like, trust me with today, Israelites, my people, trust me with today. All right, y'all. And that leads to our lesson today. And I just love y'all. I could stop here and I would hope that we would just want to stand on our feet and praise God for what he has done so far in this journey, right? And he's been doing a work, a huge work in the Israelites. He's been doing a huge work in my heart this semester. And it has been so sweet to be on this journey with y'all and to dig in. And I stand amazed at who God is and what he is doing. And honestly, I'm overwhelmed by his patience and mercy with the Israelite people, right? How quickly they forget that he is God in everything that he's done. And then I'm like, how quickly we forget how great God is in everything he's done. All right, so today as we jump into Exodus 17 and 18, I just get another opportunity to brag on God and his goodness. And so um, my talk today is called God's Perfect Provision and the Power of Prayer. And as we look in Exodus 17, at this point in the story, the lesson that y'all did for this week, we see the Israelites leaving the desert of sin where they were last week, okay? And it says that they went wherever God commanded them. So they were following God, okay? And he leads them to this place called Rephidim, which actually means a place of rest. Oh, but when they get there, it is anything but rest. And again, 
there is no water. So y'all, have you ever followed God somewhere? And when you get there, it feels like you must be in the wrong place. Like somehow God's GPS is wrong. I guarantee that's what the Israelites were feeling. Like, God, there's no way you got us to this place. Like, clearly you don't understand, God, we're supposed to be going to the promised land. Like, this is supposed to be great. Where is my oasis that we were in last week? It's not. It's not today. And we studied last week, y'all, God had literally just provided water for them. But clearly they didn't grasp of what God so desperately wanted them to learn. So in his grace and mercy, he gives them another opportunity to trust him and depend on him. Man, how I wish that I always learned the lesson God wanted to teach me the first time, right? But in my summer heart, if you know me at all, it's like God has to keep teaching me the same lessons over and over again. But I'm like, God, you're so good that you would teach me a lesson over and over again, that you're that patient with me, that he was that patient with them. And we talked about how as the Israelites walk in their newfound freedom and learn what it looks like to follow God and be in his ever presence, that they are presented with multiple tests. And so today, y'all, every difficult situation that God allows you to go through, it is either a test to conform you in the image of Christ, or it is a temptation from Satan to pull you away. It is a test to make you more like Christ, or it is a temptation to pull you away. And y'all, it is our choice, which we choose, because God is so gracious that he doesn't choose for us, but he allows us to choose to follow him, to walk with him, to look like him. And we know Romans 8, 28, it's, it's so familiar to all of us, but it says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. You guys, that is the heart of God, that he wants to use every hard and challenging thing in your life for good to make you look more like his son. But you have to choose him. You have to choose his purposes. You have to choose to love him in those difficult situations. You have to choose to trust him. Because y'all, if if that book of Exodus hasn't shown you so far, God is trustworthy. He's so trustworthy. And y'all, the Israelites didn't lack evidence of God's faithfulness. They just lacked faith. Because God had shown up and he had shown off. And yet they still doubted him. And they had taken their eyes off of God again, this time in Rephidim, and they put their eyes on their circumstances. And we see in Exodus 17 that this time when they're faced with water, without water, they don't just complain about it. They go and demand it of Moses, right? Just give us water to drink. Their grumbling had now turned into quarreling. Like this deep unbelief that God was able to provide for them, right? Like they demanded of God, like he was just a genie in a bottle that should give them everything they want exactly when they want it. But y'all, you can see this, like their problem wasn't a lack of water. It was a heart problem. After everything that God had done, they just struggled with unbelief. They believed the lie, y'all, that life was better in slavery, 
and they didn't believe that God was truly able to take care of them. Y'all, I know that we hear those lies. Those lies are real, right, all the time, that life was better over there. Or if I just had this, it might be better over here, right, that we doubt where God has us right now. But God's like, I've got you right here. And so maybe this is you, sweet sister. You can see clearly all the things that God has done in the past, right? You could sit with me or your friends and you could brag on what God's done in the past, but you are struggling to believe in him in your wilderness right now. Sisters, cling to his promises that he is with you and that he is able to do immeasurably more than you could ever even ask him or imagine. And I love it. As Sue put it a couple weeks ago, y'all, it is not about our level of faith. It is about the God that we put our faith in. It is not about your level of faith, ladies. It is about the God that you put your faith in. You need to, don't take your eyes off of him. Don't look at your circumstances. They are daunting. Look at the king, right? Let him overwhelm you when you feel so overwhelmed by the stuff that's going on around you. Because again, it's our choice, y'all, whether the hard situations are a test to make us look more like him or a temptation to pull us away. So choose wisely. Think about it. Choose wisely. Okay, but I love it that Moses, he goes straight to God. Hey, and he's like, oh, <laughs> God, they're going to stone me. What, what am I supposed to do? And God doesn't respond to his people as they deserve. Which, like, even as a mama, by this point, I would have been like, oh, my. Right? Like, you're going to go without water because you just don't get it. And the truth is, though, that God's grace and goodness are bigger than our sin. God's grace and goodness are bigger than their complaining, are bigger than their unbelief. His grace and goodness are bigger than our sin. And so God tells Moses to go ahead of them with some of the elders and with his staff, God tells him to strike the rock and it would produce water for all of them to drink. We all, but again, put this into perspective because there's one to two million Israelites. One rock, enough water, one to two million people in the desert. Try to explain that, right? Man, that, that's incredible. But y'all, this is so good. It's so much bigger than, than this provision of water, right? Because it's so good. If you have your Bibles, or we're going to put it up there. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 4. It says, They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Y'all, this all pointed to Christ, right? That Jesus is the rock of our salvation. And just as Moses struck the rock that day, so Jesus would be stricken on the cross one day. He is the living water. And apart from him, we cannot survive. The most perfect provision that God has ever given us was his son on the cross. Their heart problem wasn't that they needed water. They needed God. Our heart problem, y'all, is not that we need the things of this world. We need Jesus. He is the provision. He is the perfect provision for every need that we will ever have. 
He is the answer to every question that you're wrestling with. He is enough. He is the only rock worth building your house on and putting your trust in. He is the perfect provision. And I love it, right? That, that now they're all, you know, filled up and they're great and they see God's miraculous water flow. And as we move on in Exodus 17, we see the progression of the Israelites having to fight these little battles of daily needs, little battles, right? To a big battle where the enemy attacks them, right? Because this would be the first battle that um, Israel was ever called to fight as a nation. Remember, they never had to fight the Egyptians. God fought for them. They never lifted a sword. Every bit of it, God said, be still, and he fought for them. But this battle against the Amalekites would be different. Right, because the Amalekites, they were actually the descendants of Esau. So if you studied Genesis with us, y'all kind of remember Jacob and Esau, Rebecca and Isaac's kids, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, right? And so Esau's descendants, the Amalekites, they were known as godless people. And they were going to go to war with the Israelites. And so we were seeing this, this battle, a real battle happen. And I want you guys to think about what battles are you facing in your life right now? Maybe it's a really big battle that just seems so daunting and overwhelming, right? Or maybe it's a smaller battle, those ones that present themselves every single day, right? Well, as the Israelites go to war um, and we learn more about the, the Amalekites, in Deuteronomy 25, verses 17 and 18, and I don't know if I'm going to have it up there, um, Moses, he's writing, he's reflecting on what happened in Exodus. And he says, remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and cut off all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. That's what the Amalekites did, y'all. And so the Israelites enter in this war with the Amalekites. And as we enter into any war, there are two rules to war. Well, not that I'm a soldier. <laughs> Clearly, I'm a cheerleader. But um, I think <laughs> that there are two, two big uh, rules of war in this. And the first one is to know your enemy. Right? And just like the Amalekites, our enemy is no different. Right? He aims for our weaknesses. Just as the Amalekites did. He attacks us from behind. He's not a fair fighter. He gets us when we least expect it. And he has no fear of God. Our enemy is real. And he just prowls around and he just wants to devour us. And he doesn't play by our same standards, right? He doesn't play by God's standards. He is not fair. And that's what the Amalekites were doing, right? They came from behind and they got the Israelites at their weakest point, okay? Which were the ones that said they were weary and worn out. So the second rule of war, after you know your enemy, is you have to know your strategy. And so God shows Moses this three-part strategy for the Israelites. And the first one is that Joshua and his men would go and fight on the battlefield. 
Well, this is our first introduction to Joshua, right? And we don't learn much about him here, but keep him tucked away in your mind because he's going to be awesome, right, in, in the upcoming semester, okay? This great leader that eventually gets to lead the Israelite people into the promised land, and he's awesome, okay? But he's just a guy right now, and he's just leading these other guys onto the battlefield. And y'all, these are not trained warriors at all, right? These are normal guys that have been beaten down slaves for their entire lives. This is not a trained army in any regard. But I love it, y'all, because the truth there is that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called, right? That the power, the, the will of God will never lead us where the power of God will not enable us. And just as Moses said again and again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not God. God's like, but I am. And I can imagine as, Mo, as Joshua picked his men to go on the battlefield that day, they were probably like, oh, I'm not meant for this job. God's like, but I've got it. Don't worry about it. This isn't about you, right? This is about me. So the first strategy was for Joshua and his men to go and fight. And then the second part of the strategy was that Moses would go on top of the hill and he would pray. And he would trust God to do what only God could do. And Moses lifted his hands with the staff of God. Because y'all, it was customary for Jews to lift their hands as they prayed. It was their posture of prayer. And the staff, as we've seen it over and over again in Exodus, was a symbol of God's presence and his power. So by Moses lifting the staff on that hill, as he prayed, he was acknowledging his complete dependence on the power and the presence of God Almighty. And as he kept his hands raised in prayer, the Israelites were victorious. And when he lowered them, they were defeated, right? Because as Moses' hands and staff reached toward the sky, his heart and soul laid hold of heaven. And y'all, we have to note, this was not the first time that Jesus went to God. We have seen him grow so much in the book of Exodus so far, right? That we have seen him approach this throne of God. The development in, in his manhood is incredible, right? As he just goes to God. And he's grown this deep intimacy with the Lord. And so when the battle came, Moses knew exactly what to do. And Joshua and his army could have never succeeded in battle without Moses on the hilltop laying hold of the resources of God. There is mighty power in prayer, ladies. If you don't hear anything else today, I hope that you hear that. There is mighty power in prayer. Because your prayer life, it denotes how much you depend on your own abilities and how much you depend on God's. It is a litmus test, they say, of your trust in God. Because the more self-confidence, the more pride you have in your own abilities, the less you feel like you need to pray. And the less self-confidence you have in who you are, the more you know you need to pray sorry, Bible. Um, Leonard Ravenhill, he's this super old guy, but he was, well, he's dead now, but he was a great evangelist. 
okay? And he knew a lot about prayer and wrote some incredible stuff about it. And he said, a man who is intimate with God will never be intimidated by men. And that we need prayer to obtain victory, but we also need prayer to maintain victory. And we see, if we look at the New Testament, y'all, if you've read any of the Gospels and hung out with Jesus, you see that he was a prayer warrior. That every miraculous thing he did was sandwiched with prayer. Y'all, if God himself needed prayer, how much more do we? Man, that's our daily bread. Like, we shouldn't be able to get through a day without admitting our complete dependence on him. And that is through prayer. And y'all, I love it. Moses was so fervent in prayer. He was so, so mighty that he got exhausted. And we see that Aaron and her, which if you're wondering who her was, he was married to Miriam, who was Moses' sister. Okay, so we have Aaron and her, and they come and they help hold his arms up. When he couldn't do it himself, he had friends that would come and help him do it. And y'all, what a great truth that we can't do it alone. And y'all, we were never meant to. What a picture of community. If you were here a month ago at, at Sunday service when Kyle taught, man, what a picture of the Trinity. You were not meant to do this life alone. You need faithful friends to hold your arms up when you can't. In Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 12, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. We can't do it alone. And you are, if you are one of those people that has those faithful friends that hold your arms up, y'all praise God for them. Tell them today what a rich blessing they are in their lives. And maybe you're here and you're like, I don't have those people. Maybe you're waiting on community. And you're like, I, I want it. I just don't know why it hasn't happened. And y'all have been there. And y'all, God knows the exact Aaron and her for you. Trust him. His timing is perfect. He knows just when you're going to need them. Okay, but you need to be praying about it. Right, so if you have those friends, praise God. If you don't, pray about it. Man, God is faithful to hear our prayers and he wants that for us. Okay, and then the third strategy in this war against the Amalekites was that the victory will only come by the power of God. That the victory is God's. Right, that's a game I want to cheer at every single time because I know the winning team every single time. Second Chronicles twenty fifteen b It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And it just says, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but it's God's. And in Proverbs 21, 31, it says, The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. 
Y'all, we do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. The victory's already been won. Right? Romans 8.37 says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. And y'all, thousands of years later, there would be another man on a hill, right, with a man on his right and a man on his left. And the victory would be his as he says it is finished. And what a picture that Moses gives us of laying hold of those treasures in heaven. So as you can see, there were two battles raging that day, right? One in the valley and one on the hill. One to be a warrior on the front line and one to be a prayer warrior. And so in the battles that you're facing today, which of those roles are you being called to do? Because my encouragement to you is do it right? Fight the good fight. But I know how real these two battles are and how they can coexist so easily. And, and some of you guys have heard me talk before, and so you know some of my story, but four years ago, I was diagnosed with an aggressive form of breast cancer. And so anyone that's had any sort of, of diagnosis, you know your role in that is to be a fighter, Right, like they say, fight like a girl, right? Which, yay. Um, and that's, that was my role, was that I would fight on the front lines, right? And as my sweet husband, Matt, my beloved, as he was just kind of scrounging with feeling so helpless, right? like what is he supposed to do when his wife is so sick? And God was so sweet to show him that Matt's role was to be my Moses, to be my prayer warrior. And so every day from starting then and all the way till now, before the sun ever is up in the morning when McKinley and I are sleeping, Matt is on his knees next to a chair in his office. And y'all... I really believe that the greatest victories happened on his knees in that room, right? Because that became Matt's safe place as he grew in intimacy with the Lord, right? When he felt so weary and burdened, prayer was his rest. And when he was mad and angry, man, he, that was a place he could wrestle it out with God. And when he was sad and overwhelmed, that was the place that he found comfort. And y'all, Matt learned on his knees and he taught me, right, this unbelievable power in prayer. That God's greatest priority in our lives, his highest priority is intimacy with him. That he just desperately wants us to know him and know his heart. And although, y'all, we learn about it in God's word, and that is a treasure, we experience it in prayer. And, y'all, the purpose of prayer is not to change the will of God. It's not to just be this 911 call when you are in desperate need. It's not to change the will of God, but it is to align our hearts with his will. And so every day, Matt went to battle, 
not just for my body, but for my heart, for his heart. And our believing family and our friends, our community, man, they held our hands up when we just couldn't do it anymore because we couldn't have done it without them. And y'all, God was victorious. And it's not just because I'm alive today to tell you the story, right? The greater victory is what he did in our hearts, right? That we really came to realize that he, that only Jesus was the provision for everything that we needed. That everything that we are, that he was it. And I could brag on God's goodness through my cancer for hours, right? Like if you get me started, I would just keep going because it's so awesome when we just surrendered the battle to him and God just showed off in his glory. And y'all hear me though, it would have been just as victorious if I was in heaven with Jesus today. But that wasn't God's plan. And the victory was in our hearts. And as wives and mamas in this room, every day, your husband and your kiddos go out to fight the battles of this world. And you are called to be their Moses, right? With your knees bent or your hands lifted high, y'all, you are their prayer warrior. And I wanna encourage you that I don't think there is any higher calling to your life as a wife or a mama than to pray boldly for your kids and your husband. Pray without ceasing, the Bible says, to labor in prayer, to be fervent in prayer. Y'all, let us be mighty, mighty prayer warriors. And so do you believe that the power of God alone is sufficient for your battle? Because it's through prayer that you're gonna get that power, that victory. And I don't know where in this epic story you find yourself today. Maybe you are still stuck in Egypt, okay? Maybe your bonds of slavery are so real and you haven't trusted in the Passover lamb and been delivered right through the Red Sea. Y'all, do not leave here today without the freedom found in Jesus. And all you have to say is tell your leader, man, I'm still in Egypt, I'm stuck. Man, there is freedom and riches that God has ahead of you. Or maybe you've been rescued, right? And you're in the wilderness and you are learning what it looks like to walk with God, right? Because isn't that what life here on earth is? It's just this big, long wilderness journey of learning what it looks like to walk with God. And maybe this semester, you've been learning about dependence or surrender or trust or provision and whatever it is, Man, I hope you have a thousand reasons to brag on God. And I want you to know that God is with you. Whatever battle you're facing, know that he is victorious. Man, let's take up our spiritual weapons and walk with him. And let's lean on each other. This battle is way too big for us, but it is not too big for God. The battle belongs to him. In him, there is life. In him, there is victory. And he gets the glory and we get the joy of knowing that he's got it, that he's trustworthy, right? So your battle, or really should we say God's battle, is just our opportunity to brag on his goodness and his faithfulness. If y'all remember at the end of Exodus 17, after they defeat the Amalekites, 
Moses builds an altar and he calls it, the Lord is my banner. May our lives declare that same truth. May our hands be ever lifted high to the throne of God as we just say, the Lord is my banner. The victory is his. And so as we close this semester of Bible study, let us not forget what God has taught us and who he is and whose we are. May we all be his greatest cheerleaders, especially as you approach this sweet holiday season. Y'all, my prayer is that it would not be about us or about the gifts or about the decorations or about all the, the really awesome worldly things, but that we would take every opportunity to proclaim God's goodness and his rescue and redemption of our lives from the mountaintops. Y'all, the greatest thing you can tell people about Jesus is what he's done in your own life. It's your own story of rescue and redemption. And so I just encourage y'all, brag on him every chance that you get. Let the Lord is my banner be your war cry. But don't take a break from him, y'all, the next two months as this Bible study breaks for two months. It's a long time, y'all. And if you don't have a strategy of what you're gonna do to spend time with the Lord, I promise the time will just slip away from you. And you'll be like, oh man, I just took a break from God for two months. Well, no, he never takes a break on you. And y'all, you need him. You desperately need him every day. And so there, um, as we end, there's, all of these are written out, so you don't need to write them out. The hospitality team is gonna pass them out. But here are just some ideas of the leaders, some of our favorite things to do during this Advent season to just grow in intimacy with the Lord. And y'all hear me? These things all should accompany your prayer life, right? That you would be mighty in prayer, but these things help you just sit at the throne of God. And so one of them, just read a Psalm or a proverb a day. It is easy, y'all, and it, and it is sweet. Start there, or you can start and join the journey with us. We're in 1 Corinthians right now, and we'll be in the New Testament until the end of the year, right? And it's so good, okay? Or the third one, she reads truth which is an easy one. It's, on, it's an app on your phone, okay? You can download the Advent devotional, okay? You can get it in one form, I think, that's free, or you can actually have them send it to you if you like paper form, right, which costs something. If you Google the fourth one, Good News of Great Joy by Desiring God, it is just this awesome Advent devotional from a few years ago, and it's free, and, and it's on the Internet. And then there are four books there, that are awesome. And you could go on Amazon today and get them and they could be at your house in two days, y'all. One of them is Behold the Lamb of God by Russ Ramsey. And I have not read it personally, but I heard it's phenomenal as it takes you through different characters um, of the Bible at Christmas time. And then six is Unwrapping the Greatest Gift, a family celebration of Christmas, or there's another one called The Greatest Gift by Ann Voskamp. So a lot of you guys probably have heard of the Jesse tree, right? Or you've done Jesse tree ornaments. So that's her. But this is like the rich study devotionals that go with them. And then the next one by Louis Giglio, who I am just a huge fan of him. Um, it says, waiting here for you, an Advent journey of hope. And his heart really in that is for those people that just feel like they are in a wilderness, right? Like a dark place right now. 
right? That they are just waiting for God to show up in the midst of their darkness. So if that's you, then I, I recommend number seven. But y'all, your small groups, I'm sure there are so many other ones. Those are just a, a handful of examples. Y'all talk about it, encourage each other, get a strategy, right? And then dig in. Let the next two months be the most intimate time that you have ever had with Jesus. Not because you have to complete a Bible study every week, but because you just want to be with him. Because he's your savior and he loves you. So y'all enjoy your small group time. I'm going to pray. Small group leaders, hang out. We only have like 10 minutes or something until they have to pick up their kids. So you guys can just, oh wait, Liz, are we doing those something else? We're not. Okay, great. So let me pray. And um, then you guys can finish eating and chatting. Uh, Precious Lord, God, you are so good and you are so awesome, Lord. And I just pray that we would be women that brag on you every chance we get, Lord. I pray that we would be your cheerleaders, Lord, that we would want to declare your goodness and your graciousness everywhere we go. And Lord, I pray um, that we would be prayer warriors. Lord, that maybe that seems so uncomfortable to some of us, Lord. I pray um, that they would just start praying, Lord. We know that you meet us wherever we are. So, Lord, we love you and just thank you for this Bible study and for the incredible things you've taught us this semester. It's in your son's holy name we pray. Amen.